Welcome back to Sports Crunch, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and all I can say right now is thank you, football gods, for answering my prayers. The 2017 NFL season concluded with one of the most memorable playoffs and Super Bowls I have ever, ever seen. It obviously all culminated over the weekend with Super Bowl 52, a game that set the record for most combined total yards in a single NFL game period with 1,151 to be exact and went back and forth until the final minutes, resulting in the first ever Super Bowl championship for the Philadelphia Eagles as they upset the New England Patriots 41 to 33. And joining us to recap this classic Super Bowl plus what lies ahead on the NFL calendar, and there are a lot of things to look forward to these next several weeks and months, is our good friend Hal Bent, who covers the NFL and Patriots for FullPressCoverage.com. Welcome back to the show, Hal. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. You said it. What a great game that was. Having all of America on the edge of their seats for, you know, three and a half hours. You couldn't ask for a more entertaining game. You sure couldn't. And the biggest thing that obviously stuck out to me about the Super Bowl was this. If you would have told me last week when we previewed the Super Bowl that Tom Brady would throw for a Super Bowl record, 505 yards with three touchdown passes and zero interceptions. I would say, oh boy, the Patriots were going to just stampede all over the Eagles. Well, that's not what happened because Doug Peterson just pulled off one of the magnificent coaching performances in NFL history that I could ever think of. How he was able to get that much out of Nick Foles, a journeyman quarterback who started with the Eagles, then went to the Rams and Chiefs, and then thought about quitting football, and then went back to the Eagles. The fact that he was able to make him out Brady, Tom Brady, dare I say, on Super Bowl Sunday, I just can't think of any other coach in recent NFL history not named Bill Belichick that did such a masterful championship-winning coaching job as the one Doug Peterson just did. Can you? No, not at all. I mean, that was just a virtuoso performance by Peterson. I don't know how much, you know, I mean, he's got other offensive minds in that staff. Frank Reich, who's the offensive coordinator. Uh, John Filippo, who's the quarterback coach. If I'm Indianapolis with a all of a sudden vacancy there, that's two guys that I want to get in to interview as soon as possible because that was just a fantastic coaching performance by the by the Eagles, that entire offensive coaching staff, but especially kudos to Doug Peterson for drawing up a great plan, staying aggressive, and trusting in his quarterback, Nick Foles, to carry it out, and he did almost to perfection. He most certainly did, and on the Patriots' side, a lot uh, in the media are blaming the loss on just one thing. Uh, Bill Belichick, for some reason or another, and the details are still not yet clear in typical Patriots and Belichick fashion, he benched cornerback Malcolm Butler, the hero from Super Bowl Forty-Nine that intercepted Russell Wilson at the goal line, and he relegated him to a special teams role only. Do you think the Patriots would have won Super Bowl 52 had Malcolm Butler played? Or do you think it's unfair to blame the Patriots loss solely on this one variable? Well, it certainly didn't help. I don't know how you have somebody that plays almost 99% of the snaps over the previous 18 games and all of a sudden play them zero snaps on defense. 
it didn't make much sense to me. And it was one of those decisions that, you know, it wasn't just affecting one position. It wasn't just cornerback. You had Eric Rowe, who had been playing slot cornerback. Now he was moving to the outside. You had your safety, Patrick Chung, who is now filling in as the slot cornerback. And when you're bringing in that other cornerback, now you had Badamosi, Johnson Badamosi, a journeyman in that role instead of Rowe. And so it, it was like a domino effect. And it didn't just weaken them in one position. It weakened them across the board in three different positions. And that really hurt the team. And I think that was a big part of that. You know, the Eagles basically almost 75 percent conversion rate on third down is they just didn't have that one player that could make that one play in coverage and get them off the field. I don't get it either. But to be fair to the um, uh, to Malcolm Butler and to uh, Bill Belichick here, uh, I uh, don't think it was the only reason why they lost, because a big way the Eagles attacked the Patriots, they attacked their linebacker core with the uh, Guys like Corey Clement coming out of the backfield and Zach Ertz at tight end, they were attacking those linebackers as well. And I don't think Malcolm Butler would have helped there. And heck, Zach Ertz uh, picked up the final big um, third down conversions in the game. So it's not just uh, the downgraded cornerback, the linebackers couldn't cover either. Wouldn't you say so? I agree. And, you know, the Patriots in their game plan tried to combat that. They had. Um, Another safety, Jordan Richards, who was a second-round pick about three years ago and primarily plays on special teams. He's been a bit of a disappointment. And he was covering, um, you know, he was a a large part of that. And on that 55-yard reception on that wheel route early in the game by Corey Clement, that was Richards that whiffed on the coverage there. That's Like I said, that's part of where if they're going to have a safety in a linebacker role, it's usually Patrick Chung, but he was going from linebacker role instead of safety to cornerback role instead of safety. And, you know, that was one of those big plays that, that really stood out as, you know, sometimes you just want to, you know, not outsmart yourself and, and put your best players in the best position. But, but like you said, I mean, they had Kyle Van Noy, their line, inside linebacker in coverage, and, and he was burnt repeatedly, and especially on third down by Ertz with a couple of big first downs to extend drives. I don't know if you I, – I think you could put the Legion of Boom out there from five years ago, and this Eagles team was just going to roll over everyone because they had everything clicking in it. They had the right plan. They had the right players, and they executed it. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can take anything away from them. I don't think anybody stood a chance against the Eagles the way they've been playing in their last couple of games here. I completely agree. You just cannot take anything away from the Eagles. And the thing that obviously stood out about the Eagles was this is an insanely talented and deep roster. And yes, Nick Foles won the MVP, and rightfully so, he deserved it. But I think there were a couple of other guys deserving of that MVP award, even if they didn't show up as much on the stat sheet as Nick Foles. So aside from Nick Foles, who do you think was the big MVP for the Eagles in Super Bowl 52? Um, I I would say Nelson Aguilar. The Patriots had no answer for him the entire game. He just made, it seemed like, you know, anytime the the Eagles needed a big play, he was right there to pick up that first down. He was, you know, uh, whether it was on an end around, 
whether it was cutting across the middle. He, they just seemed to have no answer, and it seemed like they tried three, four different guys to try to contain him. And you know, the only one they didn't try was Malcolm Butler, but I don't think he was going to be able to stop him either. Um, I thought Aguilar had a huge game, and um, you know, and you had already mentioned Zach Ertz. He had that touchdown as well, and and he was a key factor on some huge third downs. Um, especially late in the game when they were on that drive, uh, that clock-killing drive in the fourth quarter as well. Yes, and two other um, uh, people that should have gotten consideration for the MVP, at least in my view, even though they rarely give out MVPs to these type of players, were Eagles center Jason Kelsey and guard Brandon Brooks. They won virtually almost all of their one-on-one matchups, and not only did they keep Nick Foles' jersey squeaky clean during the game, they were opening up truck-sized lanes in the running game for LeGarrette Blount and Jay Ajayi and Corey Clement to run through. And that uh, and the Eagles' performance in the trenches, not just in the Super Bowl on both sides of the ball, but during the entire season, was, I think, a big secret to their success, even when Carson Wentz went down. Oh, without a doubt. I, that was a big part of maintaining that success. They are so athletic, though, you know, on that offensive line and you add in there's Lane Johnson there is on that right side as well and between the Kelsey Brooks and Johnson they're in, they've been impenetrable in the pass rush and Kelsey and Brooks can are such good at so good at pulling and getting to that second level and that's the difference between those small holes for 3 or 4 yards and those big you know, chunk plays that they were getting nine, 10, 11 yards is the ability of those players so big, but so quick and nimble and able to get to that second level. And that showed up in that Super Bowl as well. That was a great point, David. Yes. And speaking of these Eagles and speaking of Nick Foles, let's talk about this. Um, obviously, one of the big discussions in the uh, aftermath of Super Bowl 52, obviously, with Nick Foles um, delivering one of the best playoff and Super Bowl performances in modern memory uh, and the continuing rehab of Carson Wentz from reconstructive knee surgery, uh, the debate comes, if you're the Eagles, do you immediately try to trade Nick Foles for additional assets or do you keep him until you're absolutely convinced that Carson Wentz is 100% recovered from that surgery? What do you think? Oh, I, Nick Foles is on a very inexpensive contract for next season. I wouldn't let him go anywhere if I were the Eagles. I'd tell Carson Wentz, take your time. No rush right now. If it's week five, it's week five. If you're ready week one, that's great. And, you know, we've seen, I mean, just look at the Miami Dolphins last year with Ryan Tannehill coming back from his knee injury. And it didn't take long. It was, um, what was it, second or third preseason game where he was just sliding while running out of the pocket. And, re-aggravated his knee injury and was out for the rest of the year. So you need to have that solid backup. I think the Eagles showed why they invested in Foles uh, for that backup position. And if I were them, I would hold on to him and keep him just as insurance because it's the NFL. You never know what's going to happen. And that position is just far too important to uh, take any chances at. I concur. Carson Wentz, uh, no matter what you say about Nick Foles, and I don't mean to be rude to Nick Foles, Carson Wentz is the Eagles' long-term future quarterback. He is arguably one of the biggest reasons. Uh, I, I can't say arguably. He is one of the biggest reasons um, why the Eagles did what they just did. And 
and you just have to give him, as you said, as much time as possible to get 100% recovered. So not only can he uh, hit the field 100% healthy, but his game can be fully intact when he hits the field because that knee was given um, a conservative timetable uh, to recover. That is exactly what most expect the Eagles uh, to do, including Adam Schefter. And you mentioned two big names up at the top of the broadcast, Frank Reich and John Filippo. It is a huge possibility that the Eagles lose both. Frank Reich, their offensive coordinator, who is a leading candidate to become the new head coach of the Colts, as you said, in the wake of Josh McDaniel's surprising decision, and quarterback coach John DiPolipo, who, get this, will skip the parade tomorrow to interview for the Vikings' vacant offensive coordinator position, as Adam Kaplan of Sirius XM NFL Radio reported just a couple hours ago. How negatively will that impact the further development of Carson Wentz if both Frank Reich and John DiFilippo depart for greener pastures. Yeah, I mean, that would be a a huge loss there. Um, They both, especially DiFilippo and Reich, uh, especially DiFilippo has gotten a lot of credit for their development of Carson Wentz. And, you know, it's not just this season as well where he's exploded as a, you know, I mean, let's face it, at midseason, we would pretty much handed the MVP award to Wentz and said, you know, it's his to lose, and only an injury kept him from winning that this year. Um, So the loss of them, obviously, that's going to be an impact, but as long as you still have Doug Peterson there, he should be able to get somebody in that's, you know, there's enough young coaches in development in the system that are part of this Andy Reid family tree, uh, coaching tree that, that Peterson has come out of as well. And hopefully it would, it shouldn't, I, I don't want to say it's going to be a, a huge impact and he's going to fall off, but it's definitely going to have some impact. But I don't think where Wentz is heading into season three here now, it's going to be as bad as if it was, if it was the Filippo leaving or Reich leaving in his rookie season or, you know, midway through this season. So not a major impact, but definitely some kind of impact there. Yes, and I definitely agree with the notion that coaching matters, but most of the coaches in the National Football League will tell you that a coach is often only as good as his players. And as pointed out by Field Yates of ESPN, the Eagles have the following players under contract through at least the 2020 season. Carson Wentz, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, Derek Barnett, Malcolm Jacobs, and Rodney McLeod. I know this is the National Football League and things constantly change, but do you think the Eagles have at least the potential to win another Lombardi trophy or two with this stacked core of players? Oh, definitely. I mean, if they didn't show it in the, the, the Super Bowl because, you know, Tom Brady was just being Tom Brady, but normal offenses in the NFL are not going to put up 600 yards on that talented Eagles defense. They're going to be adding through the draft. You know, they've got all those players under contract. Doug Peterson's coming back. Carson Wentz is going to return as well and add even more to that offense. There's just so many pieces on both sides of the ball. This team is so strong, you know, it's a good time not to be a New York Giants, a Dallas Cowboys, or a Washington Redskins fan because the Eagles look like they're geared up to 
make a four or five year run right here, right now, and be at the top of the NFC East, ruling that roost and a perennial contender, you know, barring any huge injury uh, in the future to key players, but they're set up, they're in a great position and, and a lot of credit to Howie Roseman as well for getting this team on track after that blip with the Chip, Ke- Chip Kelly error. They've certainly turned this team around and they're in a great position going forward and, and I definitely see them back in at least one if not two Super Bowls in the next three or four years. I do as well. And speaking of Howie Roseman, another key player in that Eagles Fund office is their director of player personnel, Joe Douglas. Joe, um, Daniel Jeremiah said uh, that Joe Douglas, who he worked with in Baltimore, um, is has one of the best eyes for talent um, than, uh, and than most people that he could remember. And and continuing adding pieces through the draft. And keep in mind, uh, some of their rookie class didn't play this year. Like most notably, Sidney Jones, the cornerback from Washington, who they drafted with their second-round pick. Jones would have been a first-round pick had he not suffered an Achilles injury at his pro day. So that Eagles secondary can only get better with the addition of Sidney Jones next year. And given Joe Douglas's eyes for talent, and they're going to find some new blood in the draft, um, this train is going to stay a-rolling for quite a while. So... Uh, so all you non-Eagles fans out there, um, count on this team being championship contenders for the next four or five years, as Hal said. And now let's talk about the Patriots' immediate future. And we all heard what happened last night. The stunning last-minute decision by Josh McDaniels to remain in New England rather than be head coach of the Colts. And this decision has many speculated that Bill Belichick's retirement is looming on the horizon. How many more years do you see Bill Belichick coaching the Patriots? Well, Belichick's always made a point to say that he was never going to end up like Marv Levy and be coaching in his 70s. So he's uh, 66 now, I believe. So I'm going to say, you know, he's not going to go more than three or four years at the max. It's really, you know, with this Malcolm Butler situation, it it really brings into focus, you know, that there is an age gap with Belichick and the players as well that that doesn't get a lot of attention but there aren't a, a ton of older coaches the trend is going obviously for the younger coaches who can relate to the younger players in the league better these days so I think he's still got you know the drive for a couple more years two or three years I think he really would like to uh, go through with Tom Brady another two or three years and then at that point, I think he's going to be ready. He's going to be, you know, 68, 69, 70 years old. In that range, he's going to be ready to take a step back. He's got his sons, his two sons on the coaching staff. He's got this machine in New England running, you know, about as smoothly as you can have any operation running. Um, you know, he's not going to leave and set up shop anywhere else anytime soon. I don't think, I don't think he has that Bill Parcell drive to, you know, start with nothing and rebuild it all up again and then do that again and then do that again. So two or three more years, probably stay on as a consultant in the front office role after that for a couple of years. But I think this really cements the idea of, you know, Josh McDaniels is in line to be that, you know, replacement for Belichick in two or three years or whenever he decides to step aside. And and certainly after 18 years of success in New England, he's obviously earned 
from the right to to choose whenever he wants to step aside and in whatever role. But I think that's, you know, more than likely the year after that. And then after that, we start to get into the iffy period of, you know, will Belichick have the drive as he approaches 70 to continue to want to put in that time and that, um, you know, I mean, the the pat is the passion still there and we're not really going to know until you know a year or two down the road but i see at least two or three years maybe four at the max and then stepping away into a consultant or front office role at that time that is a very very reasonable answer hal and i was kind of thinking uh, along the same two or three year line that that you were but uh, the reason why I think uh, it's going to go on for that much longer, if not possibly maybe a little bit longer, is because as it was shown in Super Bowl 52, Tom Brady at age 40 going on 41 still has a lot of great stuff left, but he needs some more help um, across the roster. Which players and positions should the Patriots target in free agency in the draft in order to help Tom Brady win one more Lombardi trophy before he decides to hang up his cleats? Well, I, I think you could pretty much go anywhere on the defense after that performance in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, definitely going to need a pass rusher, um, somebody to push that pocket. You know, the the most consistent pass rusher has been Trey Flowers. And, you know, after that, 39-year-old James Harrison was their second-best pass rusher in the playoffs. You know, you, you're going to want better than that. You're going to need an athletic linebacker, the lack of of, you know, as you brought up the linebacker play, the lack of athleticism in chin really hurt them against the Eagles covering running backs and tight ends. And if Malcolm Butler's leaving and it seems like there's no way, you know, that 0.1% chance he probably had of coming back is now completely zero, you know, you're going to need some more depth and playmakers in that secondary as well. So for New England, I would be concentrating heavy on the defensive side, on offense, as long as Rob Gronkowski doesn't uh, follow through on this retirement talk. You're going to have Julian Edelman back as well. You've got Brandon Cooks under contract still, Chris Hogan under contract, James White under contract. You've got plenty of playmakers on the offensive side. It's time to focus on the defense and get that fixed. Yes, and you brought up Rob Gronkowski, and he didn't mince words in his uh, post-game press conference at the Super Bowl that he will, quote, think about my future, and translation, that means he's pondering retirement. Um, what are the odds that you think Rob Gronkowski will actually retire? I think it's very low. You know, it's probably a 5 or 10% chance. Um, NFL players, you know, unless they have that cachet of a Terry Bradshaw, you know, it's very hard for players after being in the NFL to stay in the public eye as much as, you know, they, they're never more marketable when they're, than when they're an NFL star. So for Gronkowski, you know, if he's stepping away to make movies was something I heard or, you know, the WWE or something like that, once he's out of the game, that that star dims a little bit there for me. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the contract. Um, he signed a contract a while ago, you know, I, I think it was 2012. He initially signed the contract and it was one of those deals that, you know, was a lot of money up front for him to 
which was good. And the Patriots protected themselves against injury, which is obviously a natural concern with Gronkowski with the injuries he's had. Um, but he's at a below market level now. I mean, he made, I think, $3 million in 2016. He was... He was to make less than $5 million this year. The team sweetened the pot by basically letting him earn up to another $6 million in incentives, which he did meet by making first-team All-Pro. All but it, that's kind of an acknowledgement by the team that he is, for the player that he is, he is woefully underpaid by NFL standards. So, you know, just like the Patriots had to pay a little extra money to get Josh McDaniels back, you know, I think that this is a season, this is an season where you know the owner Robert Kraft may be shelling out some money be it Belichick be it Brady and especially Gronkowski who is now on a grossly you know under market deal right now and it, really that's the only leverage he has in negotiations right now is to play that retirement card and see if he can get the team to the bargaining table this offseason oh very 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 good point there Hal and he is Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com, where he covers the New England Patriots and the NFL. And looking at back at Super Bowl weekend, obviously my second favorite part of Super Bowl week is the selection of the new Pro Football Hall of Fame class. And what are your impressions of this Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2018, which on paper looks very, very stellar? Oh yeah, this was a this was a fantastic group. Um, you know, like we had talked about, you know, I was glad to see Brian Dawkins made it. I'm always looking for those guys in the secondary to to get into the Hall of Fame here. Um, I was, you know, a little surprised with Brian Urlacher. He didn't really have that longevity that a lot of the other, you know, Hall of Fame players tend to have. But it was nice, you know. You really can't argue against him going into the Hall of Fame, but I was just so happy to see Randy Moss in there and Terrell Owens as well because, you know, we've talked about that glut that's coming up at wide receiver. There's just so many great wide receivers in these past, uh, you know, in the past couple of decades, and we've got to start getting those guys in and making sure there's more room for everyone else there as well. So hopefully, you know, as the years go on, we'll see if a few more big guys from the offensive lines getting in there and some more of these uh, secondary players as well as we move forward with the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame selections. I think that happens in 2019, actually. And this uh, next class, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2019, will consist of five modern era nominees, two contributor nominees at most, and one senior nominee. If you had to pick the 2019 class today, who would it be? Oh, that is a good question. Hmm. There are, you know, I, I really want to see Everson Walls get in there. He's, he's, you know, was such a transcendent cornerback, moved to safety, one of the first, you know, star cornerbacks to be able to, to do that as well such a you know impactful player i want to see you know um i talked last last time we had talked about tony bazelli as well he didn't have the longevity but there was somebody that was you know head and shoulders over everybody else in the nfl as well um i talked about ty Lar as well there was somebody you know very close to my heart as a new england patriot but you know 
has all of the all of the requirements, the interception numbers. He has, you know, the Super Bowl jewelry as well. He's got, you know, all checks off all the boxes. There's somebody that should be there. And then you've got the automatics, the first year players who you just have to have in there. You've got to have Ed Reed. You've got to have Tony Gonzalez. Those are a first ballot slam dunks right there. Um, Champ like Bailey, the, I think too. Champ Bailey. Oh, oh, there's another. Yes, exactly. I, I, I can't argue with that as well. So I, I how I'm going to get it down to five, David, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> it seems almost impossible. And I haven't even gotten to, you know, somebody like Lynn, London Fletcher at linebacker, another, you know, somebody that seems like should be a slam dunk as well. So, uh, you know, that, that's what makes the NFL Hall of Fame so great is that, you know, there's so many different positions and so many deserving players that, you know, it's a great debate. We could have this debate probably every week going up until next year as well. And it'd probably be hard to come to that agreement on those, uh, you know, those five players going in next year. Oh, we almost certainly could indeed. And but. Let's put all the Super Bowl um, week aside because if you think uh, this uh, train is about to stop completely, you are wrong. This train is about to roar into high gear, if not a higher gear than we have ever seen at this time of the so-called NFL offseason. And the train pretty much started moving last week, much earlier than anyone anticipated, when a trade that shocked everybody as reported by Therese Paler of the Kansas City Star, the Kansas City Chiefs agreed, agreed to trade Alex Smith to the Washington Redskins for a third-round pick and rising nickel cornerback star Kendall Fuller. And that means that Kirk Cousins, one way or the other, probably will not be with the Washington Redskins in 2018. But the Redskins are at least considering putting the franchise tag on him in order to trade him for more assets. And while most of the people around the Redskins, uh, most of the Redskins beat writers thinks that while that's possible and there's a chance that that happens, it remains highly unlikely they do it. But suppose they do it and they apply the franchise tag to Kirk Cousins for the third time, which team should bite the bullet and trade for him? That's tough because there's a couple of teams that really should bite the bullet and trade for him or, you know, even if he's on the market, you know, start bidding. Um, two teams, very strong defenses, desperately in need of quarterback help that jump out are your Denver Broncos and the New York Jets. Um, Jets have been chasing the Patriots for the last 18 years since they missed out on Bill Belichick as their head coach. Um they they've got some uh, they've got a strong core on defense they've got good young players they've got a solid head coach and general manager team they need that quarterback and drafting and developing may not be you know they may not have the patience for that after so many years of, of losing and with Kirk Cousins available they've got the capital they can go and get him and then on the other side the Broncos as well uh, we saw last year they, they pretty much went 0 for 3 in the quarterback market. Um, that was a, a huge, unexpected swing and miss by John Elway, who seemed to have you know had it all managed perfectly with uh, Peyton Manning and up through 2015 and Brock Osweiler, and then everything just fell apart. And they've still got that fantastic defense, even if they have to 
um, unload Aqib Tlaib in order to have that flexibility to bring in a quarterback. There's still enough pieces on that side of the ball. They still have, you know, a man. Uh, yeah, uh, they've still got those wide receivers. Too much talent on the offense to swing and miss like they did this year and not even make the playoffs because of that quarterback position. So I could see either of those two teams going all in to get Kirk Cousins in by our trade this offseason if he is indeed franchised. Another team mentioned by NFL insider and friend of the show, Benjamin Albright, to look out for in the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes is, believe it or not, the Minnesota Vikings. And the Vikings um, could be the most logical landing spot um, for Cousins based on his desires. And uh, he he does have some interest there. But from what I've been told by another insider friend of mine, it's going to be very complicated for the Vikings to land him because, yes, they have $57 million in salary cap space, but they have four key players coming out of contract at the end of 2018. Daniil Hunter, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr and Stefan Diggs. So they're going to have to do a lot of cap gymnastics to make that work. Uh, so if you're the Vikings, uh, do you pursue Kirk Cousins or do you keep Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum on reduced rates and try to keep those four guys on your team? Yeah, I, that that's a, that's a tough situation. I think if, you know, if it's going to be even tougher if Cousins is a free is a free agent and he's not franchised, because obviously if you can get, if they can keep Stefan Diggs and you can go to to Minnesota and say yeah I want to have Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs and Kyle Rudolph to throw the ball to, that's probably going to be his first choice. Um, as far as Minnesota themselves, you know I I think they're looking at it as you know we got to the NFC Championship game. You know, with, you know, Sam Bradford and Case Keenum, we can do that again if it's Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater backing him up or if we believe Teddy Bridgewater is fully healthy. You know, Bridgewater's market's kind of limited because nobody but the Vikings really know if he is fully healthy. It's going to be a, you know, a tough sell for him on the open market to, to get a team to pay him what he's probably worth. So if I'm Minnesota... I'd be talking to Keenum. I'd be talking to Bridgewater, and um, you know, this should keep that defense intact. Keep Stephon Diggs there, and you know, go take another run with Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater is what I would be advocating. A very tough decision looms ahead for the Minnesota Vikings, and it's going to be very interesting to see in what direction they go. And after Kirk Cousins, the second biggest domino in the quarterback market are the Cleveland Browns with the first overall pick in this year's NFL draft. And when you look at uh, who is uh, who's in the decision-making process with Cleveland, uh, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley prefer tall quarterbacks that are over 6'2 or 6'3. And, and when you think of Todd Haley and uh, Hugh Jackson and uh, general manager John Dorsey most of the time, uh, you, you think uh, quarterbacks like uh, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen um, fit their um, profile of size and skill set. However, it was reported by Chris Mortensen that they have hired former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan, known throughout the NFL as one of the best talent evaluators in this era, uh, to be a key consultant 
for their 2018 draft process. And McLuhan has said publicly that his favorite quarterback in this draft class is Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield. So which quarterback should the Browns take with the first overall pick? Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, or Baker Mayfield? That is a tough, tough choice. You know, I mean, there's nobody that fits that, you know, if you were creating a quarterback in a lab more than Sam Darnold, you know, has the improvisational skills, has the size, you know, um, just, you know, you start looking like, you know, traits that match up with Brett Favre and, you know, any offensive coordinator is going to be drooling thinking of that, um, you know. Rosen, the ability to that pure pocket passer, you know, he he's he's nimble in the pocket. You, you look at him and you kind of say, wow, this guy could almost fit into, you know, a Tom Brady kind of offense. But but for my money, I'm big on Baker Mayfield. As I, I think the most important trait for any NFL quarterback is going to be that accuracy, you know, marking him down because he's not six foot five. You know, did teams learn anything by passing on Russell Wilson and Drew Brees? You know, I, you can't hold that against Mayfield. He just screams NFL quarterback to me. And, and Josh Allen just scares me because of opposite of Mayfield, just does not have that accuracy. You know, he's got a little bit of Jeff George in him, I think, um, when I look at Josh Allen. So if, I, if I'm Cleveland... I'm gauging the market on can I get Mayfield at with my number four pick, and is there some kind of deal I can swing with that number one to accumulate a few more picks and get some more impact players on both sides of the ball, or you know if I can't do a a, a move like that and still end up with my guy, what impact player can I get, or bite the bullet and take him at one if you've got any doubt of missing out on your guy, because whether you draft him one, two, three, four, or wherever, if you don't get the right quarterback, you miss out on your guy, whatever moves you made aren't worth it. But if I'm Cleveland, I'm locked in on Mayfield. I love that accuracy. I love that moxie. He screams winner in the NFL to me. I actually agree. Baker Mayfield is my top quarterback in this draft class, and I think the Cleveland Browns would be foolish to pass on him with the first overall pick. And when you look back at the Eagles, in 2016, they were 7-9. Carson Wentz had an up-and-down rookie season. Nobody, nobody was expecting them to do what they just did in September. Which 2017 non-playoff team has the best chance to shock the world and win Super Bowl 53 down in Atlanta next February? Well, you've got, you know, the Houston Texans, you know, they're getting their quarterback back and that could be a that could be a huge step. We obviously saw the Chargers, you know, the talent that they have on both sides of the ball. Um, John Gruden coming back in Oakland as well. Um, could revive. I mean, this was a team that was a favorite heading into 2017 with that explosive offense that that simply fell off. And you know, in the NFC, you know, you've got Minnesota, you've got Philadelphia there, you've got New Orleans. It's so deep in the in the NFC. It's hard to see a surprise team coming out of that conference. But um, you know, I never count out Aaron Rodgers, and if Green Bay gets him back for 16 games, that automatically makes them a title contender right there. Um, so you've got Green Bay as a surprise team. Um, I'll put my hat on, you know, Detroit. 
they're a team that should have been in the playoffs this year. If Matt Patricia has a little bit of that uh, Belichick um, discipline and coaching acumen to, to get them over the hump, they may be able to uh, sneak past Minnesota if there's any kind of quarterback problem there. And Detroit could certainly be a dark horse candidate to sneak into the playoffs, make some noise, and who knows, maybe even win it in 2018. Yes, lots of teams could repeat the exact same feat the Eagles did this next year by missing the playoffs the year before to winning it all the year after. And he is, once again, Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You could catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com and follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, I just can't say enough how much of a pleasure it is to talk football with you week in and week out. And even though we are headed into the so-called off-season, we hope to have you back on this program uh, many times in the months ahead. And we look forward to getting back together on a weekly basis as the 2018 season draws nearer. Uh, David, thank you so much. It is it is my pleasure to be on here and talking football with you. It's it's a pleasure every every each and every time I'm able to do it. And I thank you so much for having me on here as well and sharing your wisdom with me as well because I appreciate that so much. You're very welcome, Hal, and we thank you. But before we let you go, we want to start a new tradition here on Sports Crunch, our challenge flag segment. And in this segment, we. Uh, we pick a team, player, or individual in the NFL to challenge and explain what our challenge to them is. What is your challenge flag headed out of the 2017 season and into the 2018 season? Oh, challenge a team or a player. That is fascinating. I'm gonna or anybody the, within the league. Or anybody within the league. Jeez. Um, you, you know, there's so many... <laughs> kind of like when you say commissioner for a day what would you do there's so many things i want to do so many teams i want to challenge um I, i'm going to challenge deshaun watson for houston houston texans quarterback um challenge you to get back to health because my goodness the nfl needs you i can't tell you how many thursday night games with houston with uh, tom savage uh or you know uh, sunday afternoon that i had to that I watched and suffered through thinking that you could have been there and what a difference that would have made for, you know, not just my viewing pleasure, but all of the NFL. I think he was, you know, the most dynamic player in the NFL up until that, you know, tragic knee injury at practice, non-contact. Oh, that was just horrible. It cast a pall on the whole season. So Deshaun Watson, get back to, get back to full health, uh, get back to those uh, the exciting winner that you were, and let's see if you can get the Houston Texans um, back into the playoff picture in the AFC South next year because the NFL needs you. Very good. And my challenge flag goes to the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings, you came oh so close to becoming the first team in NFL history to play a Super Bowl on your home turf. But your team is still stacked and ready to contend for a Super Bowl. But I think Kirk Cousins is that piece to get you over the top. And I personally believe that the Broncos and Jets would be better served taking their quarterback in the first round because they're more closer towards rebuild than contention, in my opinion. So Minnesota Vikings, do what you have to do to uh, get Kirk Cousins in on 
uh, on the best deal possible for you and for him that, uh, that allows him to be paid in super high guaranteed money, but also leaves enough dollars left for Stefan Diggs, Eric Hendricks, Neil Hunter, and Anthony Barr. And with all those five in the fold, you will be the Eagles' biggest threat to Super Bowl contention, not named the Green Bay Packers or New Orleans Saints in the NFC. So please, Minnesota Vikings, find a way to make it work. And Broncos and Jets, please do not, um, please resist the temptation to chase Kirk Cousins and find your quarterback in the draft. You can't go wrong with any of the top three quarterbacks and you have a good chance each of landing one of them. And that concludes the 2017 NFL season here on Sports Crunch. But as they say, there is no offseason in the NFL. And in two weeks, we will begin our annual Dash to the Draft series as we get you ready for the 2018 NFL Draft. And we will get have you covered for free agency as well, which begins in exactly five weeks. So stay tuned. Be sure to check out the episode archive, including all the interviews I conducted at the Senior Bowl, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromelo saying so long and, of course, stay awesome.